Welcome to Asbury Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. In this, our first quarantine edition of Asbury Pod, we welcome Garrett Guyberson, Asbury Park Fire Marshal and Director of the Asbury Park Office of Emergency Management. Welcome, Garrett. We would also like to express a quick thank you to Ming Chen and the good people at the Shared Universe Podcast Studios for helping us record today's episode from the comfort of our respective doomsday bunkers. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the Deputy Mayor of the City of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Welcome, everybody. It's March 27th. Uh, welcome to Asbury Pod. I'm Amy Quinn, the Deputy Mayor. I'm Joe Walsh. And I'm Garrett Guyberson, the Fire Marshal and OEM Director for the City of Asbury Park. And we want to give a big, big thank you to Ming and Shared Universe, who are doing our show for us tonight because we would not have been able to do it. Um, and thank Garrett for coming out and getting, getting us all on coronavirus. Um, so this is our first taping since uh, Tom Kavinsky, right, Joe? Uh, also, I'm drinking beer because even though I was banned from drinking during the podcast, we've made an exception. Oh, I wish you had told me. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we have one uh, episode in the uh, we had two episodes of Shared Universe that have been preempted by the uh, um, by the crisis. So Tom was the last one we published, but then we um, we had the episode about the Asbury Park Women's Convention. Um, right, that we couldn't run because we had to, yeah we canceled that and um, we have one about the Springwood Avenue uh, revitalization projects ready to go whenever uh, after this episode. Okay, um, and how's everybody doing? We've all been locked down for, I think I've been locked down for about a week. Yeah, since the fifteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth. Yeah, I was a week longer. I think, um, I think when Rutgers closed, I stayed home. Um, out of an abundance of caution. But actually, Amy, we started started like that evening when we saw each other at Jimmy's that night. Remember? Yeah. We were like, we gotta go. <laughs> we gotta get. We gotta get out of here. Yeah, there's yeah. way too many people moving. moving. We're gonna have our last dinner at Jimmy's before shit's gonna go totally awry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um. So yeah, so I I showered today because of this, which is not something I've done lately. Um. And put a little bit of makeup on, which is also not something I've done lately. That's great. Oh, yeah. Look, look great, Amy. Look that. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, won't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> so the normal podcast that we tape, I don't actually put any makeup on or shower. So this is ironic. Um, and OEM oh, yeah. director. So, I understand. Again. Absolutely. Yeah. It's All a right, mess. <laughs> yes. Hope you're ready to rock and roll. I am. All right. So I think you are our first person on this show who was born and raised. We thought it was Yvonne, but it wasn't. Was born and raised in Asbury Park, correct? Yep. Born and raised. Well, I, was born, I was born at Fitkin Hospital in Neptune. Which is Jersey Shore, right? Jersey Shore, correct. And I've been here all my life, grew up here in Asbury Park. And my family, um, both my mother and father's side, have been here since before World War II. And just for people who might not know your dad... Uh, Garrett Iverson. He was uh, he's worked for the city for and still working for the city for God probably uh, forty years at this point, if not longer. Um, he started off as a uh, lifeguard probably back in the sixties. And um, if everybody doesn't know the story, um, we used to have the Seventh Avenue pool um, down between Sixth and Seventh Avenue on Ocean Avenue where the uh, big controversial beach club is supposed to go. 
Um, and he, one day, we, they would clean the pool. So they went down to open the drain on the pool. And as he was swimming up, he got sucked into the drain oh and was God. jackknifed into the drain. And he was underwater. I believe it was like, I don't know, it was either nine and a half or 11. I, I was going to say 10 minutes. Yeah, something knows, something around there. So um, obviously uh, that, that didn't vote good for him. And um, the lifeguards that were with him were diving down and blowing air into his mouth. But the problem with that is once your lungs fill up with water, you know, you're not getting air to begin with. So they had to go back up and manually shut the drain off. And by I forget how many quarter turns it takes to shut the drain off, but they eventually freed him, brought him up. Um, two of the guys from the Asbury Park Fire Department had uh, actually resuscitated him as they were pulling into Jersey Shore. So to survive that and not have any brain damage is a miracle in itself. That's and, an amazing story. Did you say... Yeah. You're part of the, I think we're, we have a bit of a network lag, but did you say he was down there for nine minutes? Yeah, he was like somewhere around nine, between nine and 11 minutes, I think it was. I don't remember the exact uh, time, but it was a long time. Usually up to four minutes, uh, brain damage is, uh, is inevitable. Wow. And um, When you're deprived of oxygen, of course. When um, For those who listen to the podcast um, who are not from Asbury Park, Let's talk about that 7th Avenue pool. So it's my understanding that Asbury Park used to have the largest saltwater pool. Well, that was the Monterey. Oh, that's a different one. The Mon- it was either the, yeah, the Monte Car- it was the Monte Carlo, I believe. Okay. The Monte Carlo pool. So that was a different pool. That was actually up a little north of where the 7th Avenue pool was. Okay. So the 7th Avenue pool was actually right on the plot of land uh, where you could call it the green space today. Um, between 6th and 7th Avenue, and it came right up to the boardwalk. And you would access it, you know, coming off the beach onto the boardwalk, and then they had a, an entranceway and vice versa. And oh, wow. had, it was a lap pool, um, salt water. They had the kiddie pool. They had the sun deck, the snack bar, and you could have lockers and whatnot that you could use and change in. And, you know, you basically bought a membership there through the city because the city owned it. So Garrick Iverson Sr. was the head of Department of Public Works and John Moore's boss, who was the deputy director of Department of Public Works. Correct. And Garrett is currently the director of the beach utility. Is it? Is Correct. It? Yeah. Yeah. Of beach utility. He, he can't let it go. <laughs> so, he yeah. does a great job with our beaches. Yes, he does. All right, Garrett, back to you. Yeah. You are did you you were the fire inspector well just to give a little history i started on the fire department in uh, 1998 and before that i spent about a year to a year and a half uh, part-time and full-time dispatching and i had taken the test for the fire department and while i was waiting to get hired i had left the dispatching uh, position and i went to the school district and i worked as an instructional aide uh, for special education uh, children in kindergarten. And I did that for a year, and then I got the call that I was being hired full-time as a firefighter. So I started as a firefighter, and I was a firefighter for seven years. And after that, I um, became the fire prevention specialist, which is the fire inspector. You know, civil service has all these different titles and terms, so, you know, you want to use those. And then um, I became the fire official, fire marshal, and uh, to present day. And you are also the OEM director. You want to describe what that is? Correct. So the OEM director, that's the Office of Emergency Management. And what that entails is it's basically, um, it oversees emergencies such as uh, hurricanes, uh, blizzards, nor'easters. If there were to be, let's say, a, a major incident uh, fire-wise or even police-wise. And basically what we do is we have a plan that's in place and, and we have different annexes that, uh, and each annex is uh, delegated to basically a department head within the city um, who are the city manager's liaisons as well as the uh, OEM director's liaisons. And what we do is we 
are able to manage resources and we work in conjunction with the Monmouth County Office of Emergency Management, as well as the New Jersey State Office of Emergency Management to uh, gather the resources that we need for that particular event or emergency. You know, and it doesn't have to be an emergency. We could deal with the um, emergency management is involved with huge festivals and, and uh, gatherings and things like that. So that's basically um, what the Office of Emergency Management does. Now, like I, I talked about the annexes and there are different annexes. So I'll go through them quickly. We have, you have your basic plan, you have alerting. Uh, you have damage assessment. You have emergency medical. You have well, hold on, Garrett, because this is all wrote to you, but it's 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 somewhat newish to me. So when you say um, alerts, like what does that mean? Um, well, like alerting. Alerting uh, tells the people like what the problem is, what's going on. That would fall under the police department. So okay. that would be their police. There would be that annex. The, they also have the law enforcement part of the annex. They have evacuation part of the annex. Uh, one of the annexes is evacuation. Um, then we have the public information. So that would be, you know, now we have a communications director. So between um, her and the PIO, public information officer, that's how we would disseminate information and through the different ways that we do that today. And there's a lot of uh, ways that we do that, uh, unlike back in the days where you were lucky if you could get it on the TV. Now you can get, you know, we have media coverage, you have Nixle, you have the telephone system, email. So there's all different ways that we're able to get that information out. Um, and the good thing about and still having access to the TV is that a lot of our seniors get a lot of their information from APTV. Yes. So everybody else gets it either from Nixle or a text message or Facebook or whatever. But Asbury has six senior towers, if you count the housing authority. And every time I'm at one of them for something, they, they always reference APTV. Yeah. And you know what's good about that, too, is especially housing authority and the management people of those buildings, we can get the information to them and they can disseminate it to their people that are in those buildings as well. So it's a lot easier than back in the days. You know, you, you literally had to basically stand on street corners and get the word out and, and ride up and down on PA systems, which we can still do today. But with all the technology that we have, it makes it a lot easier of getting the information out. Joe, are you in your basement? Yeah, I, I, mean, yeah, I was wondering that too. I thought you were in your yeah. basement. Yeah, I've been working from the basement because, you know, my, my partner Rita's a social worker, right? So uh, they're working from home and her clients are protected by HIPAA, right? So oh. if she's working with a client, I can't be in the room. And I work for Rutgers University. And if I'm working with a student, they're protected by FERPA. So we had to sequester our communication spaces and our the upstairs doesn't have any desk space. So the, I have a modified music studio down here it's the only place that has a table but yeah it looks like i'm in my, like <clears throat> a doomsday bunker <laughs> but might as well be in my doomsday bunker. So, um but i like you know um i'm glad you maybe that you mentioned the aptv because one of the things we have seen um you know we forget the range of communication technology that people have we all assume everyone has a smartphone and internet access but you know Rutgers, uh we shut down and moved off to online or remote delivery, and we're finding a number of students who have no computer in the house or internet, and they were relying on university computing facilities or public spaces like the library or Starbucks for Wi-Fi and internet. Right. So suddenly those students are completely cut off from the university in a way that we probably haven't thought of. But emergency management, you're, you know, you have multiple layers like you know Facebook, Nixle, APTV, uh, you know, multiple channels to get that word out. And, um, so it, it's interesting times we're living in, more connected than ever, but some students can completely be left out or people can be completely left out by minor um, sure. you know, lack of what we consider staple technology. And is it more students than you would have thought? Yes. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's, um, that is very interesting. Because you know, we, we take for granted the Wi-Fi is everywhere. So Starbucks, libraries. The university has lots of spaces for students to work. Community colleges have lots of spaces for students to work. So when all of those are shut down and they're reliant on whatever technology is in their house, suddenly that's a problem. Or we have, um, alternatively, houses that have five college students in it, all taking 
five classes. And so there's 15 classes being taken online and there's only one computer in the house. Mm. Um, so, um, not all at the same university. So we have like twins at one university, their sister goes to another one. So, you know, that's, um, things we had taken for granted, um, show up when, when everything shut down. I didn't mean to sidetrack that into, uh, no, and I did. Cause I was like, are you in your basement? Um, so <laughs> yeah. Garrett, all yeah. things COVID-19. Tell, yeah. tell us about when did you become aware of the virus? When did you start to get a little concerned about it? What what are you, what are your thoughts on it? Well, let's see. Let's go back to early March. I would say start really hurt hearing about it in February. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, it, it uh, the outbreak was in uh, started in China, and you started to hear about it, and maybe even before that, but. You didn't hear much about it. And I think one of the reasons why it got to the point that it has gotten to with so many people infected is that because China, and I'm just speculating this, and, you know, in my own opinion, is that they didn't notify the World Health Organization in a timely fashion. And I don't think they were really monitoring the situation or they were and weren't sharing the information with the rest of the world. And don't forget, a lot of people do a lot of business in China all over the world, including the United States. So you have constant, you have, oh, sorry. That's my, sorry. That's, um, you know, a, a lot of people traveling in and out of China. So, you know, it was by air travel that this is happening now. And by the time, they decided, well, okay, I think we have a problem here. And now we have to start telling people it was too late. It was too late. And, and I think it was already here and that it was just a matter of time before, you know, you started seeing the number of cases that we are seeing now. So, you know, you, you heard about it back then and, you know, really it wasn't, uh, okay, well, let's hope it doesn't, let's hope it doesn't come here, you know, like, and then all of a sudden, it's like, holy crap, here it is. And, you know, we're dealing with this unknown, unseen um, enemy, as they put it. Um, and it scares, it scares the hell out of me, to be honest with you. Because the fact they don't have any medication to treat it, the fact that they don't have a vaccine for it, is why it is so important that people heed the warnings uh, that public and health officials tell the public, you know, what to do and what not to do and the social distancing. And it just boggles my mind how people can be so lax when it comes to that. You know, you're talking about the survival of the human race um, by listening to these warnings and heeding those warnings. So, yeah, it scares me. I'm concerned. And um, it's got to be hard for the, it, I mean, it, it, it seems like it changes the face of how, and I should also say to people who don't know, fire is also our EMS. There are emergency, there are EMTs. Right. So it's got to, I mean, completely change the face of how you respond to calls. Oh, sure. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, uh, to say that they're not concerned would be an untruth because they're very concerned. They're concerned for their safety. They're concerned for their family's safety. You know, don't forget, they come to this job for 24 hours, then they got to go home to their families. So, you know, it's a, it's a huge concern. However, um, they are very well-trained uh, professionals. Um, you know, and, and in times like this, and, and quite frankly, most of the time, they bring their A game because they have to stay on top of it and they have to stay, you know, in the moment of what's going on and uh, paying, they're, they're constantly paying attention. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but we're able to overcome it. And how many people in the fire department, Garrett? I believe there is, I'm probably going to be off by a couple. I think there's 53, 54. Okay. Something like that. And 
you oh i'm skipping around on my notes so hold on you you weren't oem when we had sandy were, were you oem then uh i was part of the oem team i wasn't the oem director so uh, another question we got for you is how is this different from other crises that you have responded to well, the difference between this is, a, a, I'll give you, for instance, a hurricane. A hurricane, they can predict it. A hurricane can, uh, is predictable as far as, and, and that could change at the last second, too, because sometimes they tend to have uh, a mind of their own. Uh, but, you know, with, with the models, forecast models that we use today, um, you know, a hurricane is a little bit easier to predict than a, 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 an outbreak like this. Uh, such as a virus, because, and you've seen it through the conference calls that we've had and the meetings that we've had, it changes constantly. And some of it was, you know, some of it changes hour by hour, day by day and hour by hour. It's it's just, it's it's wild. It's wild. But it's no, diff it's no different any emergency of how we look at it and how we manage it. Um, Managing the incidents are probably the easiest part. It's managing people to uh, get them to do what the public, uh, the officials tell them to do. When you say managing the incidents, what does that mean? Um, you know, gathering your resources, getting the information out to people, um, keeping up on the conference calls, keeping up on the information that's coming out from the health officials, the state OEM officials, the county OEM officials, those, you know, those are the arteries uh, of what we need to be able to disseminate the right information out and to be able to make sound decisions as public officials. So, you know, that those are the most important things in, in managing an incident and, and is paying attention to, you know, like I said, a weather incident, you're paying attention to the forecasts, you're paying attention to what the professionals are saying, you know, um, in this instance, we're paying attention, attention to the infectious disease doctors. We're paying attention to the medical professionals. Those are the people that we are listening to and getting our guidance from ultimately. I want um, to go back. I'm oh, sorry. Go no, go, Joe. I want to go back to something you said earlier about, you know, when we're talking about the EMTs uh, service and the, you know, and the professionalism. And link it to what you said about people staying, you know, heeding public warnings to stay at home. Yesterday, you know, I, as we mentioned offhand earlier, my mother's ill. So I was over there earlier um, yesterday. And on the, on the way back, it was a nice day yesterday. So there were people riding their bicycles out on 537, you know, on very busy roads and, um, and people riding their motorcycles. I'm a motorcycle rider. Yesterday, you know, it was beautiful. It was a great day to be out. But if you're in an, if you get hit by a car on one of these busy roads or you're where you dump your motorcycle, you go into the hospital and the EMT guys who are busy elsewhere have to come get you um, and bring you to a hospital that's overflowing with other things right now. You know, so right. Emer other emergencies. All right. So people have to be mindful, as you mentioned, you know, listen to the instructions. It's not just, you know, there's more than just staying at home. You can go outside and walk around and keep your distance, but also don't ride your bicycle on a major highway where there's no right. there's no lane. You know, someone might hit you, and then then you're stuck, and uh, you know, increasing the, uh, the potential for exposure. So your your staff is doing a lot of things and being pulled in multiple directions, and you, you can limit that. You know, that's beneficial to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the they, the governor, like the governor said, stay, you can go outside, but stay in your neighborhoods. You know, don't go into public areas. Don't go. You can go in your backyard, your front porch. Uh, if you don't have that accessible to you, you can go in your neighborhood and take a walk around the block. But don't, you know, people are go going to the boardwalks and they're crowding the boardwalks. They're walk walking in groups of people together. You know, I saw yesterday like a bunch of kids get out on Ocean Avenue in Asbury Park, two carloads of them, and they're like just hanging out all together. And I don't think the young people... Uh, realize the gravity of this uh, this this uh, pandemic that's that's happening, and I really don't believe they're taking it seriously, and that drives me insane. It it just boggles my mind. So while we're on the phone, somebody's sending me pictures of Long Branch's boardwalk, which is packed. Yeah, and and somebody told me Belmar was packed. It looked like a summer day down so there. 
Yeah, I think what, so I, I, a lot of people ask a lot of questions about the policy calls that the council and the OEM group make because there's a whole bunch of people in the in the OEM. But one of the reasons, and and God forbid I ever listen to weather people um, because the reports <laughs> today were rain, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, I'm up at the boardwalk three times monitoring the boardwalk to see if people are following it. You know, one first time I went, they were. Second time they weren't. Third time they were. But the 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 issue was people were calling our police department and and the city saying you got to get police there, but police are out all over the city responding to calls. Like keep in mind, nobody's in school, nobody's going to work. People are driving each other crazy. And the police have like little or no problem. We have more important things to do than worry about people walking out their boardwalk because they're not listening, but it becomes a problem. 100%. So one of the decisions made yesterday, rightfully so, by our city manager was, and and I agree, I said, I can't come up to this boardwalk every two hours to see see what's going on because I get a text message saying that, that this is happening. And I thought she made a really good call in, in shutting it down today because And I and I I will tell you at first I was like, well, I think the weather is going to be crappy tomorrow, so we don't have to worry. And thank God, first of all, can I get a job as a weather person who fifty percent of the time they're wrong? They're wrong. So, <laughs> um, you can keep your job. <laughs> you can keep your job. Yeah. I mean, thank God she was like, she's like, I got to close it. You know, I'm closing it down. Other towns are closing it down. People are going to come here because if I went by weather, it was going to be cold and rainy, and I wasn't going to be that worried for today. Yeah. Um, but but petrified of when the next warm day is. So yeah. we use the boardwalk today. And then I think a lot of people already know, but for those who don't, um, um, to, for our six, six or seven listeners, uh, we stopped metered parking. We stopped alternate side of the street sweeping, um, to, you know, in efforts to keep people in their homes to get them not touching our meters. Um you know, just all of these efforts to try to keep people off the boardwalk and the beach. But we did keep the beach open for now in, in the hopes that we can possibly keep the beach open. So yeah. what I haven't seen, Garrett, and maybe in, and and maybe you'll you'll be correcting me, but I haven't seen an overwhelming number of ninety percent of the residents in the city. I think have been really compliant. It's the people coming into the yeah, city. Yeah, I think our residents have been uh, have done their due diligence in yeah. uh, listening to. Um, you're really making me very thirsty. Um, Go get a beer. Why can't you have? You're you're doing this off the clock. Go get a beer. What? But, uh, you know, um, I think they are listening. I think our residents are listening. I think they're respecting what the public officials are telling them. And, uh, you know, I see my neighborhood people walking their dogs. They're walking around the corner. They're walking around the blocks. They're staying on their porches. They're staying on their front lawns. They're staying in their backyards. And the visitors need to respect that. And one of the things that really upsets me is that, you know, even even Cuomo, Governor Cuomo and Governor Murphy said, you know, if you have a summer house at the shore, please don't come down. Stay where you are. New Yorkers, don't come to the Jersey Shore if you have to stay where you are. And that is not what's happening. Because I am seeing the faces that I see all summer long are here now. In fact, the owner of Jimmy's was telling me, she said she got some telephone calls uh, saying, I open up your place, open up your place for takeout. And she said, you're crazy. So she's not doing that. And um, but yeah, these people have come down from the city. They've come down from North Jersey and they haven't listened to what the governors are telling them. There's a reason they're telling you not to come down here. First of all, you don't know if you're a carrier of the virus. So you don't want to come down to a town or shore area that is somewhat contained to spread it. So now you have to self-contain. The governor of Florida said, if New Yorkers and New Jerseyans think they're going to come down to Florida and not self-quarantine, they're crazy. So they even said, don't come to Florida. So, you know... I don't know. I just don't get people's mentality or their mindset. I just well, don't understand. So the New York, I mean, the New York numbers are petrifying. 
Oh and I know God. we're right behind them, but I can see if you're living in New York City and you're like, I got this beautiful house at Asbury, I'm getting the hell out of Dodge. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I get it. Yeah, I, I, I understand it, but they're better off staying put in their own quarantining or, or, or separating themselves from everyone else, okay. you know, isolating themselves where they are. Same thing in Florida. In Florida, you don't want to come up here and you don't want to go down there. You stay where you are. Um, that's what well, Florida's going to change it, though. So my dad calls every couple of days. Oh, my God. Florida's just been a real shit show with their spring break. And then there's yeah. a, my dad said there's a cruise ship that they're not letting in because like 24, 25 yep. people have it. Um, but I said to him, you're like a sitting duck in Florida. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But at least it's warm there. <laughs> Yeah. To uh, you know, to follow up on that um, discussion about New Yorkers leaving, a friend of mine is an emergency room nurse in New York City, and she has these harrowing um, stories about what's going on already. But part of the conversation was her husband said there was like a rumor that you know a guess that about twenty percent of Manhattan left. Um, so I would say I definitely saw them this. Week. I don't know if that's actually true or verifiable. No, well, I definitely saw them this week. I didn't see them last week. But this week, I like between Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the houses on third, fourth, sunset that are not usually lit up are now all lit up. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And I don't wish those people ill, but you know, we're we're trying to, you know. Um, yeah, no, it's it's there's a reason. No, there's a reason why the public officials and the health officials are telling you this. Mm-hmm. You know, listen to them. It it just drives me crazy. It's like you have a big snowstorm. Let's look at it this way. This coronavirus is like the biggest blizzard we'd ever see in our lives. Even bigger than that one where we had 36 inches of snow. This is like this is like you're up to your rooftops with snow, except there's no snow. Okay? Same thing as being told to stay off the road during a, a major snowstorm. There's no snow here. This is a major incident that needs people need to listen. And, you know, the radio hosts on the, some of these radio stations, they're poo-pooing it and how the public officials are acting and, you know, closing boardwalks and closing restaurants and bars and closing. Well, you know what? If we didn't do that and something happened, then be, they'd be bad-mouthing us and, and berating us. So, you know what? You got, you're got damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. But you got to do whatever you can uh when necessary to protect the public and to protect our residents and to protect our visitors and most importantly to protect our employees that keep the city running especially the essential personnel and to that point when we were having the last couple days having the discussion on shutting down the boardwalk and the beach you know you know our one of our ideas was to just shut down the city because residents were weren't weren't abusing it, right? They could still use their boardwalk. They could still still use their beach. And le- unless you live or work here, or you're picking up food here, or you know, it, we would we would have had to define ways to to let you in. But we just weren't going to let people in to in order to protect yeah the employees and the people of this city. But yep. that our attorney Fred didn't love that idea. <laughs> No, I saw that. <laughs> and then there's concerns about shutting down Main Street because that's a um, that's not a that's not a city State highway. Yeah. So the, numerous things went wrong with that that led us to the shutting of the boardwalk and hopefully being able to leave the the beach open. But I can say unequivocally, our our first thought was, well, how do we just keep people out of Asbury Park who shouldn't be in Asbury Park? Yeah. Yeah, and I was up at the beachfront. I was up at the boardwalk several times today just to see, you know, before the shutdown, during the shutdown, after the shutdown. And I noticed about between the casino and convention hall, it was probably, I counted about 20 people. Um, a-, a lot of people were walking on the sidewalk down Ocean Avenue, um, people walking because they couldn't get on the boardwalk. They were walking along. Wesley Lake and Cookman Avenue area. Um, but for the most part, you know, nobody was, uh, was trying to access the boardwalk and the ones that did went on to the beach. And like I said, between the convention hall and the casino, I counted around 130, maybe about 20 people. And just so people who are listening get like, so DP, 
So what goes into that? One, a decision needs to be made to close it down. So there's lengthy discussions on that because there's businesses on, on the boardwalk that are then essentially shuttered, give or take, if, especially if they don't have a door on Ocean Ave. Right. Um, so there's lengthy discussions on that. And then um, the just the logistics of shutting down the boardwalk, getting the materials to shut it down and, and bless the Department of Public Works who yeah. are... Yeah. I was there maybe eight thirty or nine this morning, and they were they had they had carved out Third Ave, and they were working their way down. But the, you know the logistic of just shutting down the boardwalk is not easy. And then you again do have to put some police up there to make sure, sure. people are abiding by it. So and there were some belligerent people, you know, yelling at why you're doing this and all that stuff. But you know what? There's always going to be a few bad apples in the bunch. I, w- I was talking to somebody today. Oh, Jen, uh, Joe, our old neighbor, Jen, Jen Souter lives on Third Ave. So I had walked by with Jensen on, on the bike. And I-, I can honestly say 90% of the people in this town have been like amazing and inspiring. But the 10% who haven't have been horrible. <laughs> like, oh my Little BIAs. Oh my God. I was like, it's only 10% of them. So I, I yeah. feel like a gratefulness to that. But their level of horribleness is like, holy cow. Well, we always know who they will be. and But like you said, the level is just a little bit more elevated. Now. Oh my God. Gee. Yeah. 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 Um, but Maybe. we should be probably grateful that 90% are um, Yeah. Are For general. sure. For sure. You know, and and when people aren't sure, I'm glad that they at least call or they email, you know, whether it's you guys, the city council or the city manager or myself. You know, if you're not sure, call us. We're here. That's what we're here for. You know, and and we'll answer the questions. And if we can't, we'll get you an answer. You know, we're all in it together. And what are you doing to decompress, Garrett? Oh, boy. Let's see. Um, Well, I have to say that I, I never fathomed in my fathomed in my life that I would ever be signing a declar uh, an emergency declaration on uh, March fifteenth with for something like this. Never imagined in a million years. So that day I got home and it was a, it was actually I was it was a very emotional day um, because like I said I never would have thought of doing something like this. And had you ever done it before? No, this was the okay. first one as the uh, OEM director that I, I needed to do this. And, and we needed to do it because our our top officials weren't doing it. So we needed to take action, you know. And um, so I decided that day when I got home, I had a nice big vodka martini. And I made a huge pot of sauce. And I rolled probably about 50 meatballs that day to put in the freezer and stuff just to have. Um and as far as, uh, you know, doing the happy hour at home thing and. Um, and was this Saturday? That was that on Sunday. That was, sun- that was Sunday after the meeting. Yeah, after okay. the meeting. So, you know, just doing that. And, um, you know, it's, hey, listen, I'm used to dealing with emergencies. Like I said, I never fathomed that I would be doing something like this for something like this. I, I just never would imagine that this would be happening in the United States you know, to this magnitude. And, you know, we hear about the flu and we hear how much the flu kills. I mean, look at those people in in Italy and look at those people in Spain. It's like, holy crap, it's crazy. You know, it's like it really puts things in perspective um, on a global level. I don't know about, I mean, Garrett and I are both at these same meetings, but for me, I think Saturday night, when everybody was out. Yeah. So we were the first in Monmouth County to declare it. And, and the, I mean, at least just speaking for me, cause I don't want to, I don't want to this, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but the, the people I, I got caught, I got pictures of watermark and capital line and bond street and um, Johnny Matt and like everybody was out. Loaded. And no one was social distancing like at all. Right. And you know what kills me is it it was funny because I got a call, a couple of calls from a few owners of bars and restaurants. And they, you know, when we passed the order, I got a few that called and said, thank you. We really appreciate it. I got texts from our residents to say thank you for what we had done. 
and that it was needed. Um, but I did get a couple of calls that said, well, why didn't you just issue the order to close? And my response to them was, we had to start somewhere. However, you don't need to wait for us to tell you to close if you feel that there's a problem. You can close. If you feel that your staff is threatened or your patrons are threatened in any way or feel that they could be harmed, you don't need to wait for the city to tell you to shut down or the state to tell you to shut down. I, I said, do what's responsible. Do what you think is responsible. So that I just, you know, again, that goes back to common sense, people paying attention to what's going on in the world and around them and do what's responsible. That's all. Well, yeah, one, 100%. Um, I think, you know, again, just from my perspective, the, it, we were the, you know, big cities had been doing it, right? Hoboken had been doing it, Jersey City, but there hadn't been smaller, you know, Jersey City, I assume, has hundreds of thousands of people and we have oh, yeah. 15 or 16. But the fact remained was Saturday night, nobody, nobody gave, was even remotely social. Oh, and that, and I think Saturday night was Saturday afternoon is when we saw yeah. each other. Yeah. And when people started filling in, we were like, no, it's time okay. to go. Time to go. Yeah. So. And it's also this balance, you know, for me, I've tried, I ordered from Medusa. I tried to order from Langosta, but she's doing, um, and just to bring up like people who've really been great, I'm going to bring up the Asbury Park Dinner Club. Yeah, that's Kathy a great Curry, they, they've, they've raised over $25,000 to feed families in Asbury. And I'm going to give an, another shout out to the Asbury Park School District and Kim Guadano of Fulfill, who um, the Asbury Park School District is giving out lunches five days a week. When you see crossing guards outside, they oh, the breakfast too. Don't forget breakfast and lunch. And then Fulfill is in addition to what the Asbury Park uh, schools giving is giving an, an, on top of that three meals per child for the rest of their family. So, wow. so those are all like the really amazing, inspiring people doing the 90% of people that are doing just really amazing, amazing yeah. stuff. So um, I wanted to give uh, a couple of shout outs to all of them. Um, why? And these are questions coming in my phone. Why oh, thank you to the people that have dropped off uh, masks and gloves and, things to the fire department that we, you know, we're running, you know, we were running low and, you know, things are back ordered because of all this. So people dropped off uh, masks and the N95 masks and, you know, things that we, we go through quickly because of our call volume uh, in the city. And we also get some of these things through uh, the office of emergency management as well through the state and the County. So, but thank you to those citizens, not only from Asbury park, but people came from other towns to give us these items. So a big uh, shout out and thank you to them. And <laughs> how is it with equipment, Garrett? Are you, are, are you getting what you guys need? Yeah, we're, we're, we're holding, uh, you know, the county's been really good with us and getting us what we need when we request it. And uh, like I said, the people dropping off the stuff. So, you know, we're able to hold over right now. But, you know, if it gets any worse and where we're, it's a constant, you know, we're using it. We are using it. But if it becomes a constant like flow, you know, it could be a problem. Because you have to use different ones, I assume, for any call that you even remotely suspect. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, some friends of mine up north have um, started sewing masks and printing them with 3D printers uh, to help uh, donate to some of the sh places that are in short supply. So this is a crafty town. So there's Asbury residents out there. If you had Netsy shopping, yeah, the sewing machine, you know, maybe um, there might, they're not N95 ask, masks, but, you know, yeah. maybe anything would help. Um, you know, and there are some, uh, um, what do they call them? Um, models for the 3D modeling, 3D printers that you might be able to install and, and uh, print some supplies with too, um, which I don't have, but I just noticed that some people are doing it. I don't know how effective they are. Some thoughts on uh, maybe helping out, giving people an opportunity to help when possible. Listen, anything's a help one, you know. Hey, Garrett, when are you guys doing another calendar? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you know, you know who are you put that the original calendar? No. Why? God, it would have taken me six months to get into some kind of shape, at least for that. Um, you know who started that was Alan Barnett. Remember Alan Barnett, the photographer? Vaguely, vaguely. That's yeah. 
he was the guy that started that. And uh, he did a couple of years. He did it for a couple of years. And then he moved out of town. Oh, so he doesn't do yeah. it anymore? Do you want me to get you guys a photographer and we'll set it up, get it going again? Sure, why not? Right, you're uh, be in it, right, Garrett? Sure. <laughs> Just Amy, give, me, give me at least six weeks' notice. Amy, what did we say when we had uh, Chief Ketty on? We said, you know, maybe we could have the same people, but instead of, you know, the sexy fireman calendar, be like the over the hill broken down. Oh, what do you say? Like the over 40? <laughs> the over 40 group? Right. Um,. <laughs> All right, Garrett, uh, these are other questions that came in. So what are, if you had to name me a couple of the most unusual items you ever ran across while inspecting places as your fire code official? You don't have to name the place, but have you run across any wacky shit? Um, Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I was doing an inspection of apartment building one time, and um, I walked into this unit, and there was no one home, the the, uh, super open the door for me so I could go in and test their smoke detector and all that stuff. And on the floor in the middle of their living room was a sheet laid out. And on that sheet was a huge pile of leaves, actual leaves, leaves. Like I had no idea what they were, where they were from or this and that, but I saw it and I said to the super, um, we need to back out because I don't know what it is. Uh, I called my supervisor at the time, and uh, it was Bob Abbott. Uh, he's since retired. Um, and we called the police. The police came to investigate it. And by that time, while the police were there, the tenant came home. And it ended up being some kind of leaves that they used to make tea. But they take them and they dry them out. And they were in this huge pile, and it was like, I didn't know if they were cocaine leaves. I didn't know, you know, marijuana. I know what that looks like, but who the hell knows? So, you know, we had, we had back then too, you know, drugs were rampant in some of these places. And the place I happened to be in was one of those places. So you don't know what you're going to come upon. Um, some of the other things that I have found, you know, people, people put things in the, craziest places or just don't think you know i was in one of the buildings and i always check the stairwells one to make sure that they're clear of any debris and that the egress and the exits are uh, not not obstructed but propane tanks i found propane tanks in stairwells um i found the little propane tanks from people's barbecue grills that they use that they're not supposed to use on their balconies and stuff and then for some reason they take the empty thing you know, and put them in there or they'll put them in there. So nobody sees them. I don't know what people, what people are thinking. It's just, it's crazy. Um, you know, you you see, you see a lot in cities like this, you see a lot. Um, I've walked in on people that were in precarious situations or positions and, you know, (laughs) just testing your smoke detector. Go ahead. You know, I've had been propositioned even and, uh, you know, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's funny. It's funny. It's a great job. Um, every day is different. Uh, you never know what to expect when you're going to get there. Um, it could be good day and it could be a really shitty and bad day. Oh, can I say that? Yeah. 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 Oh, we got, yeah. we got, we got some sort of rating issue when we it, first aired about cursing. Yeah, oh. Amy a, Amy got us a um an adult language warning on Spotify. So oh. Oh. it is what it this is. This is a New Jersey podcast. I'm but yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, the day can start off great and it can go lousy real fast and the day could start off lousy and go good. I mean, you know, it, it, you just never know. You just never know. When I first started, we used to, we had our own dispatch and um you know, at nighttime, sometimes I hear the phone ring and, and waiting for the call. You see the phone light up and you're waiting. Then you knew when you had a when you had something real because every single line lit up at once. So and then the bells go off, the lights come on and, you know. And do bells go off? No, bells don't go off anymore, right? You bells just- don't go off anymore. Uh, we use the bells internally okay. um, sometimes. But for uh, we have dispatch through the county. So the county sends out tones that come over speakers throughout the firehouse. And uh, then they announce where the call is and you're on your way. 
And do you like that better than doing the actual calls yourselves? Um, either way, it doesn't matter. It's just a matter of getting a call and getting us out there. Um, yeah. So. And what was Asbury like in, in the 70s and 80s, Garrett? Well, let's see. I was born in 73, so I can re recollect back probably as far as maybe 77, 78. Um, I remember going to the beach and the boardwalk and the rides and the amusements and the arcades and uh, all along the boardwalk. Even, I don't know if you in Seaside, they have um, the cable cars mm -hmm. that go down the boardwalk. We used to have that. And I actually rode on it. Uh, a few times with my uncles and um, you know we had a roller coaster we had a little roller coaster we had this rocket ship that would rock back and forth but the really fun thing that I loved as a kid with the arcades was they had these rifles and all along a counter and they had different scenes um, in the different places and one could be a western scene uh, one could be a jungle scene and you would shoot the rifles and it would shoot like light and you would have like a light and it would hit yeah. the target and the, you know, the uh, figure would be animated, become animated. And the, the, the person would start playing the piano or, and then there was bubble land. Um, we had bubble land over on, uh, that was next to, that's where the golf course is now. Um, next to where Madison Marquette used to have their offices and you have to, used to have the boats that used to go around with the green water and they used to have the uh, fish that would go up and down and it would blow bubbles out and little rides for the kids and stuff. It was fun. Um, Jonathan's Jonathan's candy store, which was uh, a great saltwater taffy and every day they made homemade fudge. Then you had duckies uh, Ducky's on the boardwalk was famous for his hot dogs and he was famous for his hot dogs before there was Max's and windmill and all that stuff. But my first job was in Asbury park on the boardwalk on the beach. I worked for, uh, Joe Pilato, you know, Joe Pilato. Of course. Who doesn't know? Yeah. So he, he used to work for the city for many, many years. And, um, he still puts on the, um, I don't know, Joe, if you ever, um, check out the big, uh, uh, I don't know, fish fishing flea market. Yeah. Uh, up at convention. At convention like thousands yeah. of people, people come out early to go like sit, like literally bring chairs before like at three o'clock in the morning to wait in line. Yeah. 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 It, it, maybe two or three weeks ago. It was there. Yeah. And Joe it, was, was there. it was the day of the parade, March 8th. It was the day of the parade. Yeah. So I worked for him. My first job was working for him and I would rent rafts. He had a concession of canvas rafts and I would rent the rafts for $2 an hour or $5 for the day. And uh, <laughs> I would, I, I, I would do it for him for like Monday through Friday. I was 11 years old and um, yeah, it was great. I was on the beach every day, renting rafts, you know, could swim too. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was fun back in those days. And of course you had Cookman Avenue where my mother would take us to have breakfast with Santa Claus at the Steinbeck building. And they had the talking Christmas tree when you walked in and, um, you know, the downtown was always decorated beautifully at Christmas time. Uh, they had the garland that used to go across uh, Cookman Avenue with the bells and the lights and all different and everybody, you know, all the stores, there was still, uh, J.J. Newberry's was still open when I was a kid. You had Goldberg Furs that were still open. You had the Army-Navy store. You had uh, Jay David's, Mr. Fashion. You had all kinds of stores. Uh, the Youth Center, that's where we got our uniforms um, for grammar school. We went to Mount Carmel, Our Lady of Mount Carmel uh, Catholic School. So that's where everybody would go for their uniforms. And, um, you know, it was just great. It was, uh, it was something else. Even the 80s, early 80s. But then you got, you know, you got into the mid to late 80s is when it really took a decline, um, you know. And did your dad ever think about moving out? No, never. Okay. Never, 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 never. We never thought about that. Um, you know, like I said, our families have been here since before World War II. And um, on my mother's side, my great-grandfather, he came from Italy and uh, their family was from Italy and 
he had a restaurant and bar on third and Kingsley. It was called Jerry's Tavern. And then their house was literally, literally right next door on third Avenue next to where Pat Pisano's house is now. Mm-hmm. So he, they had their house and it was a huge house. I remember sitting on the porch and across the street on third Avenue, the other side were these, um, I guess senior homes or, and then there was the hotel on the corner and those two buildings, it was a huge fire. Um, I think I was about three or four years old. And I remember in my uh, PJs sitting on my great grandparents porch and it was freezing cold out. And I think there was even like snow flurries that night. Um, and this huge fire where there was, you know, it was unbelievable. Well, we used to sit there and watch the fireworks. We used to have fireworks every, almost every Friday night when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had all the bars and, and clubs and Mrs. J's and the Stone Pony and the Student Prince and um, Mrs. J's. I remember going up to Mrs. J's with my father and get a hot dog right at the sidewalk because they had it opened out. And that was like a biker bar. Um, didn't Eileen, uh, counsel- didn't Eileen Chapman, she's on the, ca- for those that don't know, she's on the council with me. Didn't she manage Mr. Um, Mrs. J's for a while? Yeah, she was, I think she was involved with Mrs. J's and the Stone Pony. Yeah. And you had the gold digger on the corner. I remember I was here for the gold digger. Yeah, the gold digger was a good one. Um, what so else? Adriatic. And men kept hitting on us and we kept being like, we're gay. <laughs> they weren't, they, they weren't convinced. <laughs> They were not convinced. But, you know, we, we had the Adriatic and we had the, there was the Golden Sands Bar. The Adriatic, when I was a kid, the original name was the Sunset Lounge. Huh. And then later on down the road, it became the Adriatic. And Stanley owned the Sunset Lounge, too. And and the lifeguards and Debbie Delissa, they used to have, a, there was two apartments upstairs above uh, the Adriatic and whatnot. So. People were, there was parties up there. And I remember as a kid, my father taking me to the parties and to the different <laughs> little bars where the lifeguards would go. Cause my father was still lifeguarding when I was a, a young kid, you know, on the beach. And he was still involved in the, uh, in the lifeguard tournaments. Asbury was probably one of the best lifeguard teams on the shore huh. uh, at one time. So it was a lot, it was a lot of fun, ups and downs, you know. With, you, you mentioned like the mid '80s when it started, Cookman started to disappear. But you know, I guess it was when Steinbeck's closed, right? Yeah. '80s when things started. But I mean, it's a little. Um, I don't remember that very clearly because I didn't live here. But I would be, you know, I remember coming to Steinbeck's as being brought here as a kid, and then uh, and also to Newberry. So then, uh, yeah. Suddenly the malls, all gone. The malls killed those places. Yeah. yeah. That's what happened. You had the malls and and Seaview Square Mall open. It was Mammoth Mall and. You know, people just weren't shopping in the downtowns anymore, and they were going to the malls. Yeah, and that's such a, not just here. My dad's hometown and up in northeastern Pennsylvania had a vibrant downtown through the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and then you know, everything moved to the mall, and it still hasn't come back. You know? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, there was tumbleweeds. I remember yeah. tumbleweeds down here. <laughs> beachfront, the beachfront. Even uh, my, my friends in high school, you know, they, their parents wouldn't let them come to our house. You're not going to Asbury Park. You know, it was it was, uh, it was crazy place uh, during that time when I was in high school, too. I mean, you know, we were having shootings and murders and, you know, the drug dealers galore and prostitutes. And Washington Avenue was one of the worst streets in the, in the country. Uh, it was, you know, but now, you know, it, it has seemed to... Um, it's turned around quite obviously, you know, Hey, listen, we have our problems. Who doesn't? Everybody's got problems in the different towns. And, and, you know, you may just, you, you might not hear about it, but you know, we're always under a microscope for some reason. Asbury park is always under the microscope and always, uh, I don't know if it's, they expect more or if it's just, um, news, you know, it's, excitement for them i guess but we have we have a pretty exciting town right amy oh my god yeah absolutely i mean favorite movie because we have to end this by about four minutes because my son's coming home at six (laughs) oh gosh favorite movie there's so many of them oh all right so you can three i would have to say cleopatra with liz taylor 
Really? Yeah. So wow. it's, a, it's a long one, but it was it was a good movie. Hmm. Great Richard, movie. Love to Richard, see it on the big screen. Is that Richard Burton in that? Also? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Richard Burton and Cle- and uh, Liz Taylor. Yeah. TV show, yeah. Garrett. TV show. I don't really have a favorite TV show. All right. I'm not really I'm not really that much of a TV person except for I watch news, I watch the weather, um, I, you know, the Discovery Channel, Travel Channel, stuff like that. I'm not really a TV TV person. Have we ever had an arsonist in Asbury Park since you've been in the fire department? Yes. Oh, really? Not not uh yeah, where they have actually set a fire, it, it was uh, considered incendiary, it was considered arson. Yes. A lot? Um, I think since I've been in their fire department, we've had a few. We've huh. had a few. Okay. Yeah. And do do they? Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute because that's the. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've had we've had places, houses, and places where people have set the fire, and because they wanted to get rid of like their house to get insurance, or because they like fires. Um. Sometimes it's insurance. Sometimes it's because they get a kick out of it. Uh, who knows? Who knows? It's all different, you know. And it's it's so hard to uh, uh, to to prove uh, sometimes. And um, that's one of the things that I do in my job is fire investigations. And we also work in conjunction with the Monmouth County Fire Marshal's Office and the Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office when we do have. Um, a suspicious or or an incendiary. I don't want to say suspicious because can't be suspicious. It's incendiary, and um, you know when it is arson, we call them in and we all work together. And you know it's it's basically you're putting a puzzle together, and we have to put the puzzle back together, you know, and try to figure out what happened there and what caused it and how it was caused. And um, you know there are signs and and. Uh, to tell that if somebody poured, you know, a flammable liquid or, you know, like the, the Steinbeck fire. I remember watching that as a kid. I was a freshman just going into freshman year of high school and um, that fire was set. You know, they found the different things that uh, led them to believe that that fire was set. Hmm. So, yeah, it happens. That's but, fascinating and, stuff. Yeah. You know, usually serial arsonists are the ones that uh, like to watch, you know, the see their work and they'll hang out or whatever. And when I was going through the uh, course at the um, Department of Criminal Justice um, in, in Seagirt at the State Police Academy, um, one of the and one of the instructors who I knew from seeing on the fire scenes when I was a kid who worked for the prosecutor's office was an uh, arson investigator and fire investigator. He always said um, in that class, he said, Always observe who is there at the scene. Try to take pictures of the scene as well, because if it is becomes a pattern or, or, or an issue, you know, you have something to look back on. You might see the same face. at different- Right. You see the same face. Exactly. So but it does happen. It does happen on occasion. Not often, but on occasion. So... Garrett, if you could tell people one thing that you want them to to do over the course of the next couple of weeks, this is your chance to communicate to about six listeners. I want you to social distance yourselves. I want you to listen and heed the warnings of the public officials. This is a serious matter and uh, your health depends upon it. All right. I'm checking, but I think I hit all, I think I hit, oh, I had one, there was one other question. Do you have to do like continuing, um, like fire education to be like, do you have to take classes every year? Yeah. In order to keep my, um, my fire officials license current, we have to, in a three-year period, have to obtain so many credits. Uh, same thing for our EMT, our emergency medical technician licenses. We have to do, um, continuing education, uh, credits for that as well over a certain period of time. So yeah, we do have to do constant training and and we do constant training. The guys do constant training in the firehouse every single day. So every day they're training. So we want to thank the fire department, police department, residents, and Joe, I cut you off. Um, 
Oh, I was going to ask you one last question about, about the Office of Emergency Management. So is there an emergency you guys have prepared for that people would be sort of surprised to know that we have prepared for it? Like I think of like like tsunami training. We don't expect tsunamis on the East Coast. You got cut off. So can you repeat that? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. I think we had a, a network Wait. lag there. Is there, is there a, an emergency that you um, and your colleagues have prepared for that people would be so, somewhat surprised to know that preparation has gone, has been um uh, been made for this. For example, I think of like something like a tsunami. Like tsunami, we don't expect those on the East Coast. You know, that's West Coast stuff. I don't even want to think of that. <laughs> oh my right. god! Yeah, I, but uh, I think we're I think we're all in trouble if that happens. Well, um, I noticed there's locusts in um, Central Asia, so we're going to have all the plagues this year. You know, you know, we we go to we continue even in emergency management. I attend quarterly meetings. Mm. Uh, there are training courses available that you can go to. Uh, we do meet at least once or twice a year with our OEM uh, team and go over the annexes. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things we're going to do, actually, once this uh, case passes by us and where it's somewhat under control, we're going to go over that with our uh, the people that are responsible for each annex. Um, and well, I have a lot of input for the county, as you know. Oh, don't we all? <laughs> I have a lot of input on how the counties handled this. So when those meetings happen, I'll send you all my notes. Don't we all? Believe me. <laughs> so in this, you have to deal with the county office of emergency management. Correct. As so, I mean, Garrett Garrett runs the show here in Asbury, but at, at the at the end of the day, they call a lot of the major policies, and they've called very, very, very strange policies. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Garrett. You're welcome. Yeah, thank so you. Much. I had a great time and I uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Hey, also, I want to thank Ming and Shared Universe for pulling this together for us. I'm going to, hey, you think more could do, could like hit a button and do this if he were my next one while we're all quarantined? Yeah. You think he could hit the button? I think he could. Listen, Vera can help him. Vera can help him. Okay. Joe, nice meeting you. Nice to meet you, Garrett.